Okay. Pretend you guys didn't hear of us last week. <laughs> well, hello, gorgeous. <laughs> but only you, gorgeous. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, I can't do the Mariah thing again. That's really not it. This is part two of Hill House episode. Welcome back to Everything Trying to Kill You. I'm Mary. I'm Mary Kay. I'm Megan. And tonight we are, today I guess, if you're listening on your way to work. Whenever you want it to be. His time is a construct. That's what Nell says. It's true. Yep. It's confetti all the fuck wear, just like Nell said. I need more confetti in my fucking life. So a long time ago, you guys, me and Mary went to this burlesque show. <laughs> And our favorite, my, well, I, I'm speaking for everyone because I assume you tacitly <laughs> agree with me. Our favorite performer was dressed as a silent movie star, probably Charlie Chaplin, right? Wasn't it? Or Buster Keaton. One of those. I don't know, but she was doing some sleight of hand tricks. I think it was meant to be Buster Keaton because I don't remember the mustache. And I feel like I would remember the mustache yeah. because if you have the mustache, but you take off the hat, then you're Hitler. Yes, and she was doing sleight of hand tricks. So that makes sense that she was Buster Keaton. Yeah. But, so the music was playing, it was silent movie music, and it was, they were like not really impressive tricks. But whenever she point. would do a trick, yeah, she would reach into her pocket and throw up some confetti and mouth really exaggeratedly. It's fucking magic, assholes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I need more confetti in my life. That's become like a thing. Did I not text you something recently about like someone was like tossing confetti at a weird moment? Did I not text you about this? You might have been in Cuba still, so I was like, she won't even get to see it. It'll cost you 50 cents. It costs us both 50 oh, cents. Lord. I'm so sorry that I texted you while you were gone. No, it's okay. I was really happy to see that, but I was like, I can't respond. <laughs> it's like they're talking to me. And I'm in the other life. <laughs> and I can't. This must be how ghosts feel when people are trying to talk to them. It's like, we are now, and you are everybody else. Yeah, and I'm just on the other line being like, come home. Come home. Like, no. No, no. Or you're just <laughs> unzipping your damn mouth and screaming on an examination table. Ugh. I didn't do that at all while I was there. So, last episode we talked about the family, the, the individual characters, their dynamics, all that kind of stuff. This time we're going to circle back to more of our classic material. Kind of a who's on first situation, yeah. as you will. For example, Haunting of Hill House. Ten episodes. About roughly ten hours of television. Is it scary? Fucking yeah. No question. This, yeah. for me, is now the scariest thing we've watched but, 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 what was the thing I said was scariest? Witch. Yes, I think the witch is scarier. I think well, the witch is the scariest. Yeah. It's a different type of scary. This is the scariest show. We haven't talked about shows really since I've been on, but there's just so much more time to do so much more shit. That's true. Yeah. This show just had everything that was scary. It made you uncomfortable. It had things that were relatable that made it scary. It had things that were, like, supernatural. Mm-hmm. There were even some jump scares. There were jump scares. It And there were setups for jump scares that weren't there, which is just as good. Yeah. If not better. Yeah. So you still had the anxiety and the adrenaline of expecting something, and then it didn't happen, like... It had all of the things in it. And there were certain things that just made you so uncomfortable. Like the dead husband, like when he opened his mouth and like the car horn came out. Mm, yes. It made my skin crawl. And we didn't even see that. We just God heard damn. about it in that opening monologue, which we praised to high heaven. No, we, you see it. You see the ghost? Yeah. You see the dude. He opens his mouth and the car horn comes out. I do not remember seeing it. 
Unless I just have a real vivid imagination. I mean, I have an image of it in my head. Yeah, because it's like a black dude and he's in the bedroom and like the wall behind him is white and I swear it happens. But then like, and Nell opens her mouth and like the noise comes out. I think there's that visual because that's why when we see the dripping on Steven's face, we recognize that it's the same way it appeared for her. Yeah. Yeah. So we get, you know, we get like a little flash to it and it made my skin crawl. Oh my God. The first time I watched a scary movie by choice on my own. A, I knew that shit would end because it was the sixth fucking sense and it wasn't 1992. And B... You already heard the I See Dead People quote eight billion times. You already knew. Yes, I understood what I was about to watch. But I'd been avoiding it because I kept hearing that it was scary anyway. It didn't matter if you knew. Mm -hmm. And I still watched it alone in a dark room with nobody to support me emotionally. Like a big dumb baby. And I am a big dumb baby. And the reason it stays scary is that fucking scary ass... Harbinger red that every time you see fucking red you know you're about to see a dead body and you don't know what it's going to look like you don't know where it's going to be you don't know how it's going to turn up but then bam even if nothing's been happening a lovely spring day as soon as you see the color red you know you're about to see it you're about to get fucked up and you just kind of have to like brace for impact and that's how I felt through a lot of this mm-hmm. part because they use deep focus so frequently so much especially in the opening scenes yeah and then as the series went on they just like leaned further and further into it so by the last couple of episodes if they're in a house at all you just have to assume that something is going to pop up behind somebody at all times mm-hmm. well there's so many hidden ghosts in it too like some of them are hidden in super plain sight some of them are like really obscurely hidden but like there are hundreds There are so many in each episode. I got lost the second time I watched it looking for them. I didn't see a single one, and that is scary. I'm going to have to send you the link where it, like, points out where some of them are. Yeah, yeah, we can link it in the notes, too. Then you'll look at them, and you'll just be like, holy shit, I totally did. Like, I was looking right at that, too. Well, my next question is, would it be scary if the ghosts weren't real? Would it be scary if somehow this were all in their heads? Yes. Mm Hmm. I think it would scare me initially, and then at the end, I would flip the table over because I would be frustrated with the writing. Same. But it would still be pretty creepy. It would be scary leading up to it because I wouldn't have any information. But the only way that could happen is if it was like, oh, they're all in an asylum, or oh, it was all a dream. And I fucking hate that. Yeah. For me, it would be the shared imagery that so many of them see the same things. Right. And I would have been like, what? No. Yeah. When I saw this on your outline earlier, I was thinking like, but isn't that why we have the mold in there as like a red herring? Yeah. Because doesn't black mold make you hallucinate? Or it can if you're allergic? Mm-hmm. Which if one of yeah. them was, most of them would be because that kind of stuff is... Well, I mean, don't even think you have to be allergic to black mold. I think black mold is just kind of fatal and toxic on its own. Okay. I also felt like the mold was indicative of the fact that the house was so like diseased and infested, right? Yeah. So this is kind of like when we talked about Amityville and I was like, I don't understand where the evil is. Yeah. Is it the house? Is there something in the house? Is there something in a person? In this one, it's the house. The house specifically. Yeah. I was like, I appreciate the clarity. Because the title even is like, you think it's the haunting of Hill House as in the house is being haunted, but the house is doing the haunting. Yeah. Which makes the title even better. Yeah. Yes. I think because it is different. So to prepare for this two-parter episode, I listened to the audiobook. Mm-hmm. It's a totally different thing. Like, all of the characters have the same names, but their relationships are different. Their characteristics are different. The plot is real different. Um, and I think it's one of the best examples of, like, an adaptation because it's still Shirley Jackson writing the TV show. I mean, I'm sure other people as well. But it keeps the integrity of the terror, but it doesn't try to be like, okay, 
this is Theodora. She wears yellow all the time. You know, like, it's not... It's not so on the nose. Yeah, it's the mood and the type of scary is the thing that they adapt. So I like that a lot because I'm always disappointed in one or the other, usually. But this one, I like them both a lot. And Shirley Jackson is, like, a force of nature. Yeah. Everything she does is fucking nuts. She can do no wrong. Yeah. So I wrote the question in the outline, like, while I was still watching pretty earlier on, like, which is scarier, the monsters of the fallout... And now I feel like that's an irrelevant question because the monsters are the fallout. Yeah. Right? Are the fallout. Like, yeah, they just recruit more people to sabotage more shit. Right, yeah. So, like, the yeah. monsters in the house are the fallout of the monsters before them, before them, before them, until you trace your way all the way back to the house itself, I guess, right? Yeah. And to kind of tie that into the question you asked before of, like, would it be scary if it were all in their heads? To a degree, it kind of is because I don't think the spouses or the significant others, like Lee, Kevin, Trish, none of them see this shit because they haven't been to the house. Yeah. But it affects them because they're at the funeral. Yeah. So to a degree, it is sort of like selective elitist. Not elitist, but like select group can only elect is what I was trying to say. Um, Participate in the haunting. Yeah. So I thought about this when we in the final episodes last two, we figure out Abigail is real. Mm -hmm. But is she because yes, but also maybe no, because she walks off with that woman from the 40s. But she, we don't see her leave the house. No, no. She doesn't ever leave the house. But neither do any of the other old ghosts. I guess the man with the cane does, because he's picked Luke. Yeah, because he showed up when Luke was out of the home. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Nell haunts herself outside of the house. And Olivia goes to the funeral home. That, that's her, like, on the ground. Yeah, but I'm talking about yeah. the ghosts from former generations. I mean, it seems to me obvious that the house got their original baby, the Dudley's baby. Yes. That's why when Mrs. Dudley dies, she's shown, like, with the infant in her arms, because the infant's always been there, Mm -hmm. just now she can hold it. Right. And then Abigail walks up and plays with the baby, which would have been her elder sister. Right. Yeah. So why is Abigail... I just... It's unclear to me if Abigail is real. She's definitely real to the character she interacts with. That makes sense. I just... It feels like the house seems to, like, stop you where it wanted you, right? Because Hugh dies yeah. at a point in his life where he's clearly still, like, active and kicking. It's not like, yeah. well, he's taking heart medication, but that's not shocking for a man his age. But after he dies, he is reverted to the way he first appeared to the house. And that's the way yeah. Abigail first appeared to the house. She's never been allowed inside before. That's the way the baby first appeared to the house. So it kind of freezes you where it wants you. But Poppy ages, and then she reverts as well. Poppy, yeah, she kind of snaps in and out. I just think there's more to Abigail than we know. If there's a season two, we're going to hear more about Abigail. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, she dresses in old clothes, and the Dudleys don't. I mean, Mrs. Dudley dresses pretty old-fashioned. I'm not wearing shit buttoned up to my neck. Yes, but she's a really conservative Christian woman, and that's not that uncommon. But Abigail has, like, straight-up 1940s outfits, and Luke even is like, Theo, can I have some of your clothes to give to my friend? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I think that might be a conspiracy to get the Dudleys in there. I think their baby might have just died, and Abigail yeah. is, like, their baby. surrogate sort of manipulated. Anyway, I could be dead wrong, but I just... Thinking out loud. Yeah. It's just, like, it was something I was thinking about earlier today about could it be all in their head. And she, that aspect of it could be. Because that's the piece that keeps them culpable to each other, where they don't burn the house down. But there is a body that he carries out. Yeah, but there's hands that grab Luke's face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wondered about that. Well, because that body, like, whatever they see in that room, 
whatever body they see, whether it's real or not. That seems like a big fuck up on the house's part, right? To leave that little body there. Because then Hugh sees it and is like, dear God, and gets everyone out immediately. Yeah, but that's what keeps the two men Mm -hmm. accountable to each other. And that's what keeps the house there. Standing. Right. Instead of him just burning it down. Right. Yep. I don't know. I got this house's game, y'all. We're going to burn your shit to the ground. <laughs> Luke tried. It didn't work. No. Oh, that scene was dope, too, when he yeah. spread all that gasoline. And, and it he, just he was like, went out. Yeah, and then his mom is there. What the actual fuck? I thought he was going to end up in a fire. That was crazy. Yeah, the house said not today. The house not catching up was one of the scariest moments for me. And I was just like, oh, God. Oh, God. What's it going to do instead? And then it was just his mom. And I was like, well, I knew she was there. Damn it. But I was very, very, very scared. She looks amazing in that red robe, too. Like, that color is her shit. Anyway, talking about moms. Just say, do we want to kind of go down here and talk about the actual house? I know that's, like, down here on the outline where we say that fucking house. Yeah, sure. I just appreciated the clarity. After Amityville, I was like, it is nice to understand exactly what's happening here. The house itself is evil. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, the house let you know. Take a trope and stick to it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. One of the creepiest things about... The house for me were the house lights. Flicking on and off. Yeah. Did you guys catch it like throughout though when it did it? Oh yeah. And so it's like that was the sign to come home from the Mm -hmm. mom. She was like, you can go out, but when I flick the house lights, you have to come back in. And so when Nell shows back up that night when she's going to like go into the house, the house is completely dark. She gets off the phone and she looks back and the lights are on inside and the porch lights flicker a couple times. Yep. But then when... Shirley? Yeah, in the funeral home. With the forever house? Yeah. When she goes in, the lights on the porch of the forever house flicker, too. hmm Yeah. Ooh, that's chilling. I loved that. That was a great yeah. motif, yeah. Gross. Super cool. Gross, gross. Blueprints and plans also of the house change, mm-hmm. depending on who's in there, which is something that the book articulates really well, because I remember being in my house, reading it, and being like, I gotta put this away. Like, my concept of space is becoming weird because it was supposed to, everything was supposed to, like, be a little bit off. Yeah. Like, a little uncanny, which I think they do a really good job of visually in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. This whole room of requirement situation. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) I was like, oh, yes, the red door. Yes, fellow white people, let us seek to open this obvious hell gate. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Your house has a billion life-size sculptures. Everyone in the neighborhood knows it's haunted, but you should super try to open this scary-ass red door. That you hear scratching behind, and you can see feet moving behind, but does not open and does not exist in blueprints. Let's keep trying to get in there. Please, let your children go in first. (laughs) Yeah. Hand them a key to the portal to Demon Land. That's perfect. Yeah. So they all had their own room, except for the dad... But the whole purpose of the room is to kind of give them a place of solace and to keep them distracted. Yep. And the dad is too involved with getting rid of that mold and everything else. Like, he didn't need a room. He's trying to flip this for his family, and he's distracted by trying to clear the mold and fix Wait, the okay. house that he didn't get a room. It was Olivia's reading room, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. she had her little reading nook. It was Steve's... Game room. Oh, game room. It was Shirley's... Dance room. No, that's Theo. No, that's Theo's dance room. It was Shirley's... Did she go in there? Yeah. Yeah, hold on. I'm gonna Google. It was Luke's treehouse. Nell's... I think she had tea parties in there. Yeah. But uh, Shirley had some kind of... She had, like, toys or something in there. It was, like, a playroom of some kind. Was it, like, the cats? I don't think so. I feel like she had, like, a dollhouse or something. I don't know what I'm picturing. I feel like I'm mashing up some of their rooms. 
So it's Theo's dance studio, Nell's toy room, Olivia's reading room, Steve's game room, Shirley's family room, and Luke's treehouse. Okay. Oh, yeah, because that's where Shirley was looking at the pictures about the cats. Yeah. I don't know if that's where she had the cats, but that's where she, I remember her sitting there looking at the pictures of the cats. Yeah. Also, my cat, when we were a kid, when we adopted the cat, we didn't know I was pregnant. It had kittens, and one of them died. And it was a learning moment. I don't remember it being that upsetting, though. Also, she had five kittens, and one of them died. Not all of them. That was gross. That bug coming out the mouth, man. Nah. And the eyes yeah. being all crazy like the house. Well, then the bug came yeah, out of Nell's mouth later. Well, also, like, that's, so I work at an animal shelter now. We straight up have, like, flashing signs, whatever. And one of them is warning people, please do not turn in feral kittens that you find. Like, if you find a litter of kittens. Yeah. But they look well fed and they are sheltered. Leave them alone. Because the mother's going to come back. If they look malnourished, if it's freezing and they're, like, just out in the open, if they're visibly sick, okay, fine. But if they're just stray cats, you don't need to bring them to the animal shelter. It's a lot harder for us to take care of them than for their mother to take care of them. Yeah. So as she is like, we need to bring them, I was like, no, you don't. (laughs) They are definitely going to die now that your ass took them out of this shed. Their mom's going to roll back up like, god damn it. These preteen girls. <laughs> Where are my kids at? <laughs> Those pesky God kittens. Every 11 year old girl didn't think she was a kitten savior of fucking the entire United States. I could raise a child to completion. God damn it. I could not believe the mom let her keep them, also. My mom would never have let me do that. She'd have been like, uh-uh, get that shit out of my house. No, that's got cooties on it. Go wash your hands. Take a bath right now. My mom probably would have made me take it to the vet. And, like, get its life together. But I could have, I would have kept it. My mom would have been like, you're not going to feed it every day. It's going to come on to me. So now just take it out. Mm-mm. Nope. Well, I think it's maybe, yeah, my mom knows that I would take care of it and feed it. So maybe that's the difference. Yeah. Anyway, we want to talk about the mom. Yeah, let's do it. Mom, yeah. Is mom crazy? Did I get the crazy too? Oh, yeah. Now we're getting into our tropes discussion. What are the tropes? Yeah. One of them being, is mom crazy? Oh, no, am I crazy too? Mad woman in the attic. Yes. Literally. Yeah, I mean, based on where the red room yep. appears to be at the top of a spiral staircase, maybe? I don't know. It's unclear. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, the idea that it would definitely be Olivia and not Hugh. That is the source mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. madness. And that the kids would then buy, or mostly buy, for the next 25 years. That even though you never saw any indication of it until like two weeks before it happened, mom was profoundly mentally ill. Right. Took her own life, and that's what happened. Yeah. And then blame him for it. And he's just like, yeah, that's what you should believe. What incredible resolve. Also, the thing is, as much as that is, I know there was no good choice for him to make there. It also then puts them all in the position of spending the rest of their lives wondering. Right. Especially the women, though. Like, Shirley is, like, wound up so tight and such denial about the fact that anything even happened. Yeah. And Nell. Nell. Nell, like, knows she's not. Like, Nell knows it happened and still... Has to live with the fact that everyone believes she is unwell. Yeah. And you have Theo, whose entire life is built around understanding mental illness enough to make sense of the worst thing that's ever happened to her. Also, they do, though, have supernatural characteristics that get passed on to the girls, like the sensitivity. Yeah. Where Theo can touch things and know things. Well, and what's her name? She can Elsa shit with her hands, basically. Yeah. Or, like, she touches you and she's got all your shit now. Yeah. Sorry. Some of our listeners will get it, I'm sure. <laughs> I got it. My dog was jumping at me, and I realized I didn't take his collar off. And I was like, if I don't silence this collar and take it off, Mary Kay's going to eat my soul. 
She's not even going to pop out of a cake for me. She's going to haunt me, and I'm going to be like, I made a cake. Mary Kay's going to come out, and Mary Kay's going to pop out and be like, remember that time that dog's collar jangled, bitch? And then she's going to leave. No tassels. Nope, I'm just going to be showing up at the foot of your bed when you're asleep, jingling that little tag. <laughs> just jingle, jangle, jangle. Oh, you thought you were going to sleep? Jingle, jangle, jangle. Not tonight, bitch. Not tonight. You got the wrong one. Snatch that off real quick, so now he's a naked. <laughs> <laughs> So Theo basically has like a small version of Rogue's ability in X-Men, which is that she absorbs your experience Soul. and ability. Yeah, and that's why it's like a terrible fucking power, because she could kill you. If you touch her long enough, you will die. She'll just absorb all of you completely. Yeah. But it also makes her crazy-ass powerful, because she was be like, tap, 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 bitches, I have 75 powers. Like I have 75 powers. <laughs> Tap, tap, yeah, but tap, then tap, she tap. can't be touched. She can't hug a person. Like, how are you going to have sex with somebody? You don't. Is it just her hands, or is she absorbing powers also through her vagina? Theo or Rogue? Both. Well, obviously not Theo. Pretty sure it's all skin. For both of them, actually. Any skin contact. I don't know. Theo just wore gloves, and she seemed pretty fine. No, 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 because remember, at one point, she's wearing gloves, and Hugh grabs her arm above the glove, because he's trying to get her, and she won't take his hand. Maybe that's close enough to her hand, because she sleeps with that woman, and she's like, why gloves? Am I gross? And she's like, don't take it personally. It's just my thing. I don't know if sex is different, but he grabs her arm, and she does tell people not to touch her at other points. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. So I don't know if sex is just different or if sex is just like busy enough that she can ignore She's it. She's not thinking about it. Which would make sense that why she's so... Promiscuous, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like why she has so much sex and also why she doesn't keep having sex with the same people over and over. Yeah. She could kind of get desensitized to it. Well, shit, Theo. But yeah, so he grabs her arm and that's when she sees her mom's face all jacked up. She's like, she's doing a bunch of shit. Mm-hmm. And that was one of those moments where like, based on the combination of images she saw, I was like, your dad kill her. Like I get that Olivia died, but did Hugh fucking murder her? Like did the house actually get Hugh? But then he's going to spend the next 25 years saying, Oh no, it got Olivia. Yeah. And then that didn't happen. That would have been cool though. That would have been a cool ass story. Shit. That would have been a great <laughs> twist. Are you hearing this? Shirley Jackson? Listen, writers, <laughs> season two, Mary's got ideas. Turns out it was Hugh all along. I have a question. I might have an answer. Why are Theo, Nell, and Olivia all sensitive, but Shirley is not? Because Shirley's asshole is just so tight. It's so <laughs> small. It's so small. She can't let any feelings in her Okay, you're done. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> he was like that sounds like the worst version of the dog vo-. like was that the cute dog voice it's kind of like the good boy voice but it's terrible i hated it no that's the small asshole the voice small asshole voice buddy mary sounds like she's trying to blow up a balloon with her butt <laughs> <laughs> actually no i mean seriously i don't know why shirley is not i also don't know that she isn't we just don't empathize with her the same way we do the others well i wonder if hers just manifests a little differently Maybe because we're Maybe. all also similarly tight-assed. We're just like, she's not sensitive, she's annoying, because we're the same way. Maybe other yeah. people think she's sensitive. People that aren't like Shirley. No, I meant that she doesn't have the powers. Oh, got it. Yeah, she, well, and that's what I'm wondering. Like, she's unusually good at her job at the funeral home. Yeah, one of our listeners wrote in that he wanted to know why she had to be the grief counselor for that child. Oh my gosh. You remember this part? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. And I remember thinking at the time, like, y'all, take the kids to the therapist. There's a therapist right. on the premises. 
for this exact reason. She is in the guest house. Just seven steps, bitches. Go right over there. Just seven steps. Exactly. Ayo. Talk to the professional instead of the person who removes organs from corpses. From <laughs> yeah. corpses. It's a really useful skill. Just probably not to a grieving child. You're right. I really did love that. It's actually a great moment where I jumped straight from Hugh and Olivia talking about how badly they handled the kitten situation to Shirley telling her own kids about Nell and how differently and how much more directly she handled it. Mm-hmm. There wasn't this whole like rigmarole about like, oh, we're going to have a funeral and we're going to say something about a creature that lived for three days that didn't have a personality yet, but we're going to make a whole big thing about it. And then also it's still going to be horrible and traumatizing to her just being much more direct with them. And even saying point blank, some of that stuff we're not going to talk about right now. Mm-hmm. Kind of seeing that, oh, like you, you took your trauma and you, you're doing better. You're doing better by your kids. Good job. I, don't know. I wondered if maybe her unusual skill at making dead people look good somehow related to that sensitivity. Oh, no. Me neither. I don't have a good answer. But you don't think she's sensitive, right, No, all her yeah. shit seemed regular to me. If she is sensitive, I think that she's too preoccupied with other things and wanting to be in control that she's stifling any possible sensitivity mm-hmm. that she's got. Well, that's probably good. To not be sensitive? Well, to not be that kind, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would rather not see everyone's worst pain every single time I shake their hand, yeah. Yeah. Yes. That seems exhausting. A little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Little bit. I might said like, so the whole, like, runs in, like, crazy mom, and then, like, the women stay crazy thing. Luke is the one who becomes an addict. Mm-hmm. And Steve, eventually we find out that Steve has always thought mm-hmm. that he's carrying it. Mm-hmm. So that, for me, was kind of a nice, because I was making the outline a little bit as I went, and then kind of, like, doubling back and fleshing out, and doubling back and fleshing out. So I first wrote the whole, like, oh, crazy mom trope. And then I had to come back in and be like, actually, yeah, they came after that pretty interestingly. Like, we find out that that's actually how his entire marriage dissolved. That he thought he had it too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he even sees someone outside of the fertility mm-hmm. clinic. Yeah. And we don't know who that was, I don't think. Not that I recall. And how fucked is that? Like, he spends his whole life saying, like, I've never seen a ghost. I've never seen a ghost. Bitch knows he's seeing ghosts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he thinks it's mental illness, because that's what he can... Yeah, that's what he's able to handle, so that's what he makes it out to be. He yeah. can't handle it being a ghost. Exactly. And that's something I kept reading about before I saw him, so that it's all about secrets. It's all about secrets. And as I was watching, it took me a while to realize how many secrets were unearthed. Mm-hmm. A lot. But the secret of the vasectomy is not even the secret of the vasectomy. The secret is that he is actually always seen this and not been able to process it because of the way he processed it. The secret is that he believes he's mentally ill. I also saw a distinction between the secrets people that willfully kept and the secrets that people had because they just could not understand what they were dealing with enough to even admit it to themselves. So it was a secret by necessity. It just couldn't function. Yeah. I feel like the moral of this season of this show is when people tell you things... Believe them, especially if they're your family, especially if they're telling you because they want your help. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter if you think it's true. It matters that they think it's true. and They're asking for your help. Yes. Yeah. Because a lot of this shit could have been avoided if it was like, why don't you just be honest that you don't think these are dreams and that you need your family to get out of the fucking house. Yeah. (laughs) Because it would have, I mean, it might not, it would have just probably waylaid everything set it a little further adrift, but if someone had just believed Nell that she was actually seeing a bit neck lady. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like fucking nah. <laughs> nope. 
nope, we're getting out of here. Especially because the housekeepers won't even stay on the property. Yeah. Like, they've lived there the longest, and their stipulation is, when the sun goes down, I'm at home. It's not like I need to be off at five every day. Yeah. It's like, when the sun is down, I have to be not here. Yes. That's different. Mm -hmm. Significantly. That's a big-ass red flag. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when your fucking housekeepers dress like the goddamn Adams family. (laughs) They do. And they won't even say, okay, the goddamn Adams family won't hang out in your scary-ass sculpture room after dark? (laughs) Cool. You should let the children do it. (laughs) You should let the children play in your scary-ass garden full of weeping angels. Let your 12-year-old help you clean up the black mold. Yeah, that, I was like, okay. Okay, look, I understand that times are different, but also, they weren't. I was alive then. I'm the same age as Nell. Oh my gosh, so much shit happened in this, and I was like, I don't think that's how I would have played when I was a kid, because I think it would have made me very uncomfortable. Like, I don't know, maybe I would have rode that dumb little trash chute, but I feel like I wouldn't. I would have I would have been all up yeah, in you're a right. waiter. I would have been like, bitch, if you don't cut the fucking cord. I'll climb back. I would have been about it. I would not. As a child, I was not scared of anything practical. Super death wishy. I was scared of all the unreal shit. So like, dumbwaiter, send me down, bitch. Sculpture garden, absolutely not. What about that weird little horn? They were sending a little button down. A little little megaphone thing. The second a voice said anything back to me, mm mm-mm, no thank you. The second I said, are you there? And nobody responded. And I said, I said, are you there? And a different voice yelled at me. I would have left. Y'all are not my family anymore. Clara. Who is Clara, by the way? is she like the generation before Poppy? Oh, okay. Is that right? I don't know. I don't know. We don't like facts here, so we're going to say yes. Okay. We could look at IMDb, but also we could not. Are there any other topics that we need to talk about in Hill House? What about these stormy nights? There's a bunch of storms. Yeah. I know that the storms are not supposed to be literal storms, but the second it gets stormy in a movie or a TV show, I'm like, oh no, something bad is going to happen. Let me prepare myself. I usually feel that way about it too, but this one, because it's figurative, it's on- well, it's literal, but it's only for that family. Because the Dudleys, uh, Mrs. Dudley was like, we slept right through it. I didn't hear it at all. Yeah. Like, I don't remember a storm. It's just that family and Nell disappearing because mm-hmm. the time is cyclical. Like, it's not linear. And it's during the storm that her funeral happens. And so that's why she disappears yeah. during the flashback scenes. And like we said in part one, Luke knows what's going on because he, as a child, runs up to her and he's like, never do that again. I thought the yeah. house things had gotten you. So... I mean, it's done well here and it's done differently. It's just the second something gets stormy, I start anticipating that something's going to go bad. And this did hold true to that expectation. When it got stormy, bad things did happen. Yep, shit went down. It didn't feel tired and worn out when it did that. But I definitely always like, I'm like, all right, I'm ready for it. Whatever you're about to throw at me, movie, it's storming. I know shit's going to happen. Yeah, another cool thing that happens during that storm is the camera work is really disorienting and genius. And I cannot imagine how hard that is to do. The constantly circling camera during the fight the night before the funeral. Yeah. And there were occasional moments of deep focus, right? There were moments within that fight that we saw now. Yep, Mm -hmm. in the background. Uh Uh-huh. So that it's constantly moving. So you're constantly braced to be about to see something for something to be about Mm -hmm. to happen. And also it's constantly moving and they're Mm -hmm. constantly moving and with each revolution or two, then there's somebody new in the argument. 
they were kind of swapping in and out. Yeah. Yeah, like, how did they choreograph that with the cameraman that's and crazy. the blocking? That's, that's genius. That's just... Yeah. That's really cool. Those scenes were so dialogue-heavy that it could have been mm-hmm. a play, but not really, because the camera work is like an extra character in there. Like, whose perspective is this that we're supposed to be following? Which is freaky because it makes you feel like you're doing the haunting. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I, I, there are definitely moments where I felt like we were, like, Nell, almost. Like, if we couldn't see Nell, then we were Nell. Yeah. Also, I love how they're being shitty about Nell wanting them all to be together. And then Theo's like, well, she finally, you know, got us all together. And it's like, yeah, and now you're ignoring her just like you used to do and not believing her when she's like the bit neck lady is back. Yep. Yeah. Also, on the topic of Theo at the funeral, her making that pass at Kevin, the way she describes it later, that I didn't see him, I didn't see him, I needed to feel something. That's a really common sentiment for someone who's grieving. Yeah. Regardless of whether they have supernatural touchy powers or not. Yeah. That sense that all of my feeling disappeared with the person I lost. Yeah. And I'll take whatever feeling I can get instead. Yeah, and we didn't, I don't think, talk about this monologue when we were talking about the awesome monologues in part one, but Theo's once Nell jumps out in the car ride when they're having that bickering fight where Shirley is right and Theo is wrong and... Theo's just like, will you just listen to me? And Shirley's like, I don't really care why you did what you did. You were shitty. That's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. I'm not ready to hear yeah. that. How did you guys feel about that monologue? I don't know. I don't know if I like thought about it one way or another. Mary looks like she's thinking real deep, though. I mean, my natural biological state is all of my feelings are gone or broken. So I... Are you team Theo in that moment? I mean... It doesn't make it okay. No, you weren't defending her actions, but you understood. No, but I can definitely identify with that feeling that I can definitely reflect on choices I've made, actions I've taken that I can't defend, but that I made because that's... Your feelings were broken. Yeah, as close as I could get to having a feeling that like guilt or shame or horror or whatever I was feeling about myself for having made this disgusting choice were still better than nothing at all. Because then at least I was, there was some sort of relationship or some sort of accountability. There was somebody else in the equation. My actions actually matter. If you feel that much guilt about it, then if you vanished, it would matter, right? Yeah. Like if your brain keeps telling you that if you were gone, no one would even notice, then they notice. Now you stirred the pot, they're aware. Yeah. And it's not great. It doesn't necessarily help you. It's not a healthy choice to have made. I've definitely been there. I guess what I was trying to ask, because I don't think that what she says is invalid in any way. I just, all right, I'm going to throw some shade here. I'm just going to do it. Throw it. But like, I couldn't engage with it because it was overacted and the dialogue was kind of like repetitive. Like we had been doing so well so far with the writing. And I couldn't tell if it was the performance or the writing of that that made it so like dramatic or because I identify with Shirley so much. In that moment, this is before we knew she had the affair. Once we learned that, I was like, oh, I'm not that much like her because I don't think I would ever, ever do anything like that. But I was on board with Shirley because she's like, you want to be forgiven. I'm not done being mad at you yet. Like, you don't like, I'm not going to. Yeah. Because you have a breakdown. Like, and it also felt so like fall. I mean, I understand like we wasn't supposed to feel that way, but it just seemed so like cloying that that would have made me even more angry. Where it's like, number one, I'm going to forgive you and I'm ready to do it. And I'll come to you. You don't have to like bombard me with your apology because I'm not ready to hear it. And it's going to fall on deaf ears. 
But also, like, I don't know. I just, ugh, I, that whole scene, I was just like, Bleh. And I was watching it with Charles, and he was like, man, she's a really good actress. And in my head, I was like, I'm not buying it. I mean, I can't tell if it's, like, a, the character is supposed to be, like, pushing that emotion or if it was the performance itself. Yeah. Does that make sense? I feel like that's, like, why the Nell thing had to happen. Yeah. And I'm not, like, I'm not not team you on this. It's definitely a big, big fucking turn for that character. Yeah. To go from that much stoicism for that long. I mean, she'd been holding everything in, essentially, this entire episode. She doesn't yeah. show any emotion. She doesn't show any weakness. Well, when she's on the sofa and touches mm-hmm. the sofa... That wasn't overacted. No. But that also wasn't her feelings. So is it just like her own grief that she can't manage? Yeah. She can't control those feelings. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing is not her feeling. It's somebody else's feelings that she just happens to be experiencing. But I definitely had the same kind of thought as you that, like, you can be sorry. Shirley may even be able to appreciate in this moment. Like, she may be able to understand what you're saying and can acknowledge that, like, this is reasonable and real and ultimately I will forgive this without being able to do it right this second. I kind of felt like that's why the Nell jump had to happen. Yeah. That was a good jump scare, too. Yeah, it was. Because Theo would never have broken down like this. Otherwise, she needed to. No. And Shirley would not have been able to get to the place of, like, if not forgiveness, like, let's get to the house and, like, do what we came here to do with her. Like, wouldn't have been able to, like, function enough with her to cooperate if the Nell thing hadn't happened. They had to, like, see the same thing that way. Because Shirley didn't even respond to the windows, maybe, while they were both standing there. It was like, you are seeing this happen. You know this is real. Well, the Nell thing had to happen for them to get to that point, but I also didn't necessarily feel like Shirley forgave her right then. No, she didn't. She was just like, okay, get up and get back in the car. Yeah. Our family is waiting on us, and now you're having a temper tantrum. Get your ass back in the car. I know it was Nell. Yes, I saw it. Obviously, I pulled the car over. Like, I don't know. But I feel like Shirley's acting during that monologue. (laughs) <laughs> perfect because <laughs> she's just like okay go ahead and wear yourself out yeah all right get back in your car seat <laughs> like isn't that what you're supposed to do yep planned ignoring they have temper tantrums i know that wasn't actually what was happening right then and i know that i was super shady of course i could not do it better i'm not saying anything like that i just i couldn't tell if it was like put on by the character or if it was a performance it wasn't on par with the rest of the writing and performances throughout the show because everything else was flawless, this one kind of took you out of the moment a little bit. It did. For me, it did, yeah. I think that's why it stood out to me so much. Plus, I just had so much, like, disdain for Theo anyway. Not when she was a kid. When she was a kid, I liked Theo a lot. Up through the wedding, I think. Like Theo during the wedding, too. Yeah. Actually, maybe the turn is when she takes Steve's money and still is shitty to him and still mooching off of Shirley. Like, pick a thing. Pick one shitty thing. Right? Pick a trope and commit. Can't have all the shitty things. Or just be all around shitty. Yeah. Be shitty and own it. Well, yeah, but be shitty in the same way. Yeah. Or not. I don't know. Mary, what do you think? Am I just beating a dead horse? (laughs) No, I just, I mean, we talked about this in the last episode, but that's like the bargain you make that if you're going to be really, really good at work and the good work you do will help other people, then you don't have to pick your shitty. You can just be fucking shitty when you want, how you want, to whom you want. Ha 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 ha. Okay. When you do really good work for work, you get to be really bad in your personal life. If the work that you do is also personal. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like I meet people who are like, yeah, I don't know, like amazing. I'm say, I'm a really good data analyst, but I'm also not going home and like swinging my bra over my head as I like chug a bottle of bourbon. No, but I, I think that I've seen it more commonly. Sounds like a good night though. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, also, you really shouldn't do that right now. That just sounds terrible. But, like, <laughs> I think I've seen it more commonly okay. in social services, that kind of... And it's not a deliberate thing. It's not people are, like, going home and, like, I'm going to actively... Well, there's a lot of emotional weight that comes with that, too. One, you've got to be, like, the best person in the world, yeah, and you've okay. got to act like nothing is wrong and everything's okay and be strong for other people. Mm-hmm. And you're carrying that emotional weight because you're not supposed to get attached to the people you worked with, but, like, you do. Yeah. Yeah. On top of the fact that so many people get into this line of work because they're already carrying something from their own past. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they've had experiences that they've lived through that might help somebody else through them. And then you just put yourself in the position of reliving or rehashing your own trauma over and over on somebody else's terms instead of your own. That makes sense. Ooh, Ooh! I just had an epiphany. I want to hear it. So the episode of, at the funeral, and this is like, I have no segue because it just hit me. I don't know why. Okay. The episode of Nell's funeral is called Eulogy. Mm-hmm. That's the name of that episode. But the main monologue besides Luke's actual eulogy is Mr. Dudley talking about his wife mm-hmm. and their baby. Yeah. And then that's also the episode, isn't that the one where Luke disappears? And goes to the house. Yes. I can't remember if they realize that he's left then or if it's the next episode. Okay. I don't know if we know that he's at the house. I think it's just he's left. I don't know if we know where he's going yet. I mean, we obviously fucking know right. where he's going, but... Right. Okay. I just noticed that, like, those two monologues were the main things in that episode, mm-hmm. so... I don't know. Maybe there's nothing there yet, but I feel like it's gonna circle back. Well, I think also another moment in that is Hugh talking about Olivia. Mm-hmm. And the whole room just, like, comes to a dead stop because he doesn't talk about her. Mm-hmm. They rarely see him, and when they do, he certainly never talks about their mom. And then he met, he says that that's where Puffalo came from, is their mom. I think that's the episode before. That's the night before the yeah. funeral, yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about the day of the funeral where they have the actual eulogy. Oh, God, yeah. But yeah, I do like it when Hugh talks about Olivia. Oh, yeah, the room just crashes immediately. Yeah. And they never respect him. Like, they never listen to what he's trying to sell them. He's very quiet anyway. But that family dynamic is just so disrespectful among them all. Yeah. It's like, if you guys could just believe each other for a second, you might could bend together and, like, save a couple lives. Three lives. Right. And it pisses me off that they don't mourn him at the end. Yeah. Even though Steve knows everything at that point. They find out that he's not a shitty person. Yeah. Yeah, and then they have the, I know we talked about this in part one, but they have the happy montage at the end, and I'm sorry, nothing has changed. Yeah, nothing happy has happened. No, you lost another member of your family, you have a little more information now, Mrs. Dudley is now dead, although we flash forward 40 years somehow, why is she old again, I don't know, I guess that she just looked way older than she needed to be. But it was just weird that like, oh, we made it out of this one excursion and now we're two family members short, and we have a happy montage at the end. Also, good happy montage. The house is still coming for you. It's just that now there's yes. three members of your family activated. You've got a bigger army after you. Yep. Yeah. Ugh, I want a season two. And you have Mrs. Dudley now, too. So really four. Bullshit. Y'all are screwed now. And Abigail, who I can only imagine a baby ghost would be spiteful, according to Toni Morrison. So, I don't know. Anyway, I don't have anything else to say, I don't think. I'm out. I don't think I do either. I think I have talked all the talk. That was it. That was that was the episode. <laughs> Two episodes, that's it. Listeners, if you guys think of stuff that we missed, though, we love hearing that. Do we want to have a closer or not? Nah? We didn't really have one for the last episode. It's fine. I think we're good. I think that they have heard 
plenty from us. Yeah. Yeah. So what's up next? Okay. So for next time on Everything Trying to Kill You, our next episode is January 4th. We're going back to vampires, but in no way that you've seen them before. We're doing the Iranian and American film, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night by Anna Lily Amirpour. You can rent it on Amazon Prime, I think, and I definitely recommend doing that. If you have a way to watch it big, do that. It's black and white, but it's really pretty. Like, let the right one in, you know, was like real pretty composition. Mm -hmm. And this is really similar to that, too. It's really cool. I didn't realize I had so much to say about it until I was teaching it, and I was like, no, I have to talk. But if you watch that movie and you have some stuff you want to make sure we talk about on the show, please get in touch with us. We love that. We're on, like Mary said, the trifecta of social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we love hearing from you guys. And don't forget to enter our giveaway. You still have one more week. We'll announce the winner on that episode and on our social media on New Year's Day. So make sure you do that. And thank you so much for listening. Bye.